Welcome to Investing by the Books, a podcast by Red Eye. I'm your host, Eddie Palmgren, and next to me here in the temporary studio in Omaha is my friend Niklas Savos. How are you? I mean, it feels, feels fantastic to do this uh, special episode from, from Omaha. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really happy to be here. Yeah, the sun is shining finally, the birds are chirping and the street is busy. So we're excited to share our conversations from Omaha. So what have we been doing in Omaha so far? So we arrived uh, Wednesday evening uh, and uh, yeah, got, got to bed uh, as soon as possible. And, and then... Uh, yeah, it was a long flight from Sweden. <laughs> yeah, really long. And we were all really tired. So, But uh, yeah, we refreshed the day after. We went up and it was like 30 degrees Celsius and uh, really, really nice. What did we have in mind? We had a goal. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we just uh, went for some breakfast and we couldn't find any. <laughs> I think we went around in circles for, for an hour. But then finally, we, we just decided to buy something in the local store and get back to the, to the townhouse. Uh, but after that, we, we decided to, to actually take a walk to uh, Buffett's office and uh, his house. Uh, and we had some problems finding the office. Yeah, we were looking for this Kiwit Plaza. But where is Kiwit Plaza? It, we couldn't find it. I mean, <laughs> we saw a, like a large tower, a black tower with called Blackstone Plaza. And mm. after some Googling, we realized that Kiwit Plaza is, is not longer named Kiwit Plaza. <laughs> and what was your impression standing there, seeing the building? I mean, I, you know, I, it felt a bit meditative. So I, I just looked up to the windows there and, and could just see Buffett sitting there reading and reading and reading. And, and yeah, I just thought about how how many hours you have spent there reading and thinking and doing all the great decisions that that's uh, now become Berkshire. I don't think I ever heard anyone say looking up at a skyscraper feels meditative. But uh, <laughs> yeah, to me, it was very unreal just to see it. And we were speculating which light bulb was his shining up there. Um, we also saw the McDonald's on the way where he probably stops uh, every morning to buy his breakfast, right? Yeah, exactly. So when, when we went to to the house, we uh, I think one of the one of the guys in the team just said, "There it is," and I think both me and you were like, "What? What do you mean?" And <laughs> then we looked up, and then we we saw the house. Yeah, the house where he has been living for many many decades. Yeah, and it was a really nice house. I think um, I think you you hear you hear that Buffett is modest and and so on, but uh, I think he made a great. Uh, decision to buy that house early because I think he realized I don't I don't want to buy another home I mean it's a mess to buy another home so he <laughs> waste bought, of time yeah so he bought a, a big one from the start yeah that's smart capital allocation probably. and the area was really nice as well yeah really nice and uh, then we walked back and we were I was thinking at least if he ever walked <laughs> all the way back to the city but yeah we joked about how, as Buffett ever were <laughs> walked to, to the office and it's like it, to be fair, it's like a 15-minute walk or something like that. It's not that long, but yeah, we speculated about maybe, I think, because he, I, we, our guess is that he takes the car, go, go past McDonald's. I think there is a film about Buffett's life, and then he shows how he, how he got to the office. So we, we just think that as, he, as he's a guy who, who has strong habits, I think he does that every time. And... I can I can probably not even guess, but I'm quite sure that he hasn't wa- walked from the center of Omaha at least to his house and back because that was like 25,000 steps, and we were all exhausted when we got back and with the heat and so on. We we were quite uh, I mean we have, we had a, a winter in in Sweden. We're all white as ghosts, and and uh, all of us got burned, <laughs> and especially our studio guy Gustav, who is. Was doing the the recording and editing. I mean, I, I, he was red as a shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh. But uh, then came the evening. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, we we had our meetup. So Eddie, you had done a great job arranging that. Yeah, it was really nice. We went to Upstream Brewing Company, a brewing uh, company here in Omaha. Really nice location, and uh, we met a couple of you listeners, and uh, it was really nice to have some discussions, meet in person. What did you Yeah, we had it? some, it was just nice to, of course, as always speak with like-minded people. And I think um, that was really nice. And we discussed a few different investment cases and so on. So it was nice. I hope we will keep in touch with them and, and to be able to, to speak about ideas in the future as well. And 
I mean, we're happy if, if, if our listeners get in touch with us. And, and I mean, we're happy to discuss uh, investment cases and, and also investment philosophy and so on. Yeah, we can do Zoom calls. And we can also, of course, if you come by Stockholm or if we're traveling, just let us know. Our Twitter handle is IB underscore Rada and you can uh, contact us there. And after some sleep, we went to the MOI Global event. Best Ideas 2022 was the name of the event. And there were 12 people pitching a stock case each. So it was a very interesting uh, setup. And uh, you have a relation with MOI Global, right? Yeah, so I worked with uh, John before, and I'm a member of MOI Global since a couple of years ago. And uh, I was an intern, actually. I did some 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 work for him. So um, And I think John is a great guy. I mean, he's the... John Mihailovic is the founder and operator of, of MOI Global. And uh, he has managed to get together a, a great group of investors. And what did you think about the event? I think it was a really interesting event. I mean, they have these events like a couple of, couple of times every year. Some are virtual, some are physical. And um, I think they are, the presenters are, are sharp. They present their ideas in a, in a good way. Um, and you notice, of course, the differences. Some have done this many times and some maybe not that many times and i think that that shows as well i think uh, tom russo was one example presenting and uh, it can it just it's easy to to follow his presentation i think it was a great presentation what's what's your view yeah i really liked that one as well and to me what stood out was how complex it is uh, some of the cases which is very interesting because it's different from something that i would look to uh, but simplicity wins for me so those were the cases that i felt most attracted to i could understand it from the beginning and follow through and there were not too many questions and you yeah i agree i think uh, there were like very different cases and uh, i mean none were really in my sweet spot so it's hard to come up with great questions then and, and so on but i felt that there were like one and two one or two case, cases which are um, yeah which i may look in deeper to and, and why why are those i mean it's just that you have, I mean, I think I have uh, my my way of thinking about investments, and I just think that um, most of the companies, I, I I just felt that I need to do too much work in order to gain conviction, and the others, like for example, um, like the brands that uh, Christian Billinger talked about, uh, Campari and Tom Russo talked about Heineken, and those are both brands that you can relate to and. You have some knowledge about them as a consumer and uh, they they have a, a long history of stability. So I think it's easier to judge their future economics than the others. Yeah, then the issue is valuation. Yeah, exactly. So that's that I may pass because of that, but it may be interesting to have on, on a watch list. And then if you get a chance in the future to when, when the price drops too, too much, then you may be able to swing the bat. Indeed. And it was a really nice uh, event. We had some good conversations after the event as well with some of the attendees and uh, some of the speakers. And we also had the chance to do a little interview with one of our previous guests who presented a case here, Sri Vishnavatan. Yeah, it was really nice to meet him in person, finally. And uh, we spoke a bit about his experiences from uh, coming to these meetings. Here comes our conversation with uh, Sri Vishnavatan. Investing by the Books has the pleasure to be in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, we have just been listening to Sri Vishnavatan, who has been speaking and presenting a case here at MY Global's Best Ideas 2022. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Hi. Absolutely a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to meet in person. We met digitally when we did the podcast a month ago, but it's, it's different. It certainly is. I mean, um, the first time I'm meeting many of my old friends physically and first time I'm meeting you and Nicholas. This is fantastic. And how did you come across Buffett and uh, Munger and Berkshire Hathaway from the beginning? This goes back to 1995 when I used to work in Des Moines, Iowa um, for an insurance company and uh, my colleagues who were in the investment team got excited about this big acquisition that Buffett had announced that happened to be the second big tranche of Geico. And that's, that was my big introduction to Buffett and investing. And when was the first time you visited the annual shareholder meetings? I think my first time was uh, either 2013 or 14. I don't remember, but unfortunately, not as many as I should have. And what is it that makes you come back here year after year? That's the key question that uh, we all discuss every time 
we get ready to come here. I think uh, not just the opportunity to learn from the two masters, but many other um, potential meetings with other investors, running into serendipity, setting up, setting up for serendipity. Those are the reasons why I keep coming here and I love it. Yeah, and it's really a good networking place as well. It's nice to meet so many people. And uh, what would you say are the most important concepts or principles that you keep finding yourself uh, identifying and referring back to uh, from Buffett and Munger and Berkshire Hathaway? Market is... Uh, there is a reason why the market is what it is. There are a variety of different investing styles. As we heard today from the MOI presentations, a range of different types of investments. But across the board, the one common theme seems to be long-term approach. Um, and that keeps resonating and that's part of my investing style as well. And is there something you do differently from them in your investing style? I don't want to be in the same sentence as those two. I don't <laughs> qualify to be in that same sentence. But uh, I try to emulate many things that they have taught. Concentration. I own only 10 stocks in the portfolio. I take a fairly global approach, which is different from what Buffett has done at least, and Buffett and Munger. Although they are in Israel, China, and, uh, and Japan, and they've been in South Korea in the past, but about 50% of my portfolio is outside the US. And uh, outside of, other than that, concentration is a big factor, long-term is a big factor, valuation is another big factor. So, And it's now Friday, and tomorrow is the, the real meeting. What are your expectations? more lessons from the two masters. Are you going to ask some question or? Absolutely not. <laughs> Why is that? I'll let others uh, ask the questions and I'm there to just learn. So I'll be taking notes, looking for interesting questions. And what would you say to some of our listeners who have not been here and are maybe, I mean, everyone is somewhere on their journey in investing, but are quite, quite new. What would you say to them? Yeah, if you do get a chance, please do show up here. Um, we don't know how many more times these two masters are going to be able to do this together. But even after they leave, this would still be a fantastic opportunity to come and learn. Learn from other investors from around the world, great ideas, investing approach, philosophy. We met another gentleman from Sweden yesterday who had a very different approach to investing. So this is a place where you can meet, truly meet a variety of different uh, types of investors and you know, there's always something to learn. You may not agree with everything and everybody, but that's the beauty of this. Thank you so much for taking the time, Sri. You bet. Thanks a lot for having me here. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's always as interesting to hear what uh, Sri has to say, and uh, this time was no different. Uh, and uh, just after Sri, we, we met with uh, Christian Billinger and uh, had a chat with him. And here comes our conversation with Christian Billinger. Now we're standing here with uh, Christian Billinger uh, in Omaha. Um, Christian is one of the members of Investing by the Books, and we had him in the, in the podcast before. Hi, good to be here, Nicholas. So, uh, how many times have you been in, in Omaha for the AGM? So, this is only my second time now, but of course, so I was planning to come here, of course, in 20 and 21, but we haven't, obviously, there hasn't been a meeting, so second, second time. Uh, but yeah, it's great to be back, and I recognize how, how many more people I know this time, and um, so it's really fun. And what do you feel it, it gives you as, an, as, a, as a manager? I find it's, so, it's less about the knowledge, the sort of technical knowledge. It's more about the, it's an inspiration, right? It's an, an, it's, it's an inspirational sort of weekend. You know, it's a bit of a refresher on a number of uh, concepts, I guess, that Buffett has taught us, you know, long-term thinking and looking for great businesses. And so it's great to meet like-minded people here who, uh, who, who sort of invest along similar lines. And, and it's also a lot of fun, right? It's just uh, the, all the social activities outside the, the conferences and uh, the annual meetings. So uh, I think it's that more than anything. 
And how has uh, Buffett and Munger shaped your investment career? I guess like any any sort of long-term quality-minded investor, you know, they've taught me the the importance of patience and uh, I think simplicity, keeping it simple, looking for a few sort of key drivers in a business. Uh, but yeah, there's there are too many sort of there's too much to even um, uh, you know there are so many things and concepts and uh, but I think they're probably some of the key ones for me. And what question would you ask uh, Buffett if you got the chance uh, tomorrow at the AGM? That's a very good question. Uh, I don't know. I think one of the difficulties is there's so many. All the questions have already been asked of him, right? Um, and now I guess even the sort of succession is there's clarity on that. So uh, what would I ask him? Maybe why he hasn't. I mean, he's been a very US-centric investor. Maybe I'd ask him about uh, why he hasn't sort of looked more overseas. Uh, possibly, that's not a great question, though, is it? So, <laughs> I yeah, I think it's a good question. I, I mean, if you look at the, um, you can listen to all the episodes on uh, on Spotify, for example. Yeah. All the AGMs, and uh, actually they discuss, for example, Sandwick uh, when when they did the acquisition of Iskar, and they oh, found right. that Iskar was a better business, and so on. Okay. Um, so yeah. I know he's done some international deals, but you know, there's already so much out there, right? And I've I've read the last 50 years of letters, and but you know, I've watched all the AGMs, and so uh, tricky to, to. I'll have to think hard about that one. Okay, Christian, thank you so much thank for taking the time. It's really tough to decide which question to ask if you got the chance, and it's something you can think about for forever, I think. But if you have some question, you should really take the chance. And, and for next year, you can also send in your questions to CNBC, probably, and they take up some questions as well. And we also met another investor, Rajiv Agrawal, that we didn't know before, but he was super friendly, and he decided to uh, do a short interview about him and uh, his relation to Buffett and Munger and his investment style. So here comes our conversation with Rajiv Agrawal. Now I'm standing here with uh, Rajiv Agrawal. Hello, Rajiv. Hey, hello. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Um, how is it to be in Omaha? Omaha is always wonderful. Actually, this year, the weather is cooperating a lot more. So, you know, we can do this interview outside. That's wonderful. <laughs> and tell me a bit about your investment style and, and what you're doing. Yeah, so I am actually, uh, you know, died in the wolf... Uh, uh, value investor. Uh, I focus on investing in Indian equities. Uh, I have a fund which is called Dudarchi India Fund and uh, it is a US based fund focusing on investing in Indian equities. Uh, and the goal here is to do well over the long term. So our focus is find good companies run by good management with a long runway at a good price. So we are asking a lot but uh, luckily in a market like India which is having more volatility we are able to find those opportunities from time to time and so look forward to doing uh, well as we have done in the past. And how is uh, investing in India? How does it differ to invest in, in, like, in the US or Europe? Yeah. So, what is interesting about India is that Indian markets are not necessarily very efficient. Uh, if you think about Indian equity markets, there are almost 5,000 companies listed. Of those 5,000 companies, around 2,500 trade on a daily basis, and of those 2,500 most investors only focus on the top 500. And that leaves another 501 to 2500 that we can focus on and do very well. So as an active investor, we want to be investing in companies where there is inefficiency. And we think that because the equity culture in India has not been as prevalent, we can find those opportunities from time to time. The other thing is that Indian equity markets have a much higher insider ownership. So when you're buying companies in India, you are in the same shoes as that of the management. And the third reason is that Indian equity markets have a lot of impact because of the money coming in and out of the Indian uh, equity market, right? And so suddenly the prices may go down because foreign investors are taking money out, like what is happening right now. And so it gives us more opportunities to invest in good companies at good prices. So that is what, that, those are some of the reasons why we like Indian equities. And uh, I mean, how is uh, investing in India, I, I guess you, you mentioned the founder-led and I mean, a lot of uh, insider ownership, yeah. but uh, can you, I mean, how trustworthy are managers and how, how much of, of your job is actually to figure out if managers are trustworthy and, and good capital allocators? So I think that is a fundamental, fundamental question. In India, I always say you have to first get comfortable with the management. 
if you do not get comfortable with the management there is no business thesis uh, and so what we do is and you know understanding a management is very hard right so the way we try to evaluate a management is based on the past track record right that is the only way we can judge so we want to see what have they done and what have they said right how much value they have created so in general we are not buying the companies that are coming up for ipo recently because they don't have as much of a track record we want to see good track record and we also want to see good value creation so you are looking at are they actually going to share in the success of the business with the minority shareholders but you're also looking at how are they allocating capital because in india where there is so much of growth opportunity unless you allocate your money well you will not realize the full potential and so we actually the good news now in india is a lot of companies do conference calls right and you can ask them questions right and you can understand how they are answering and also there are a lot of other interesting people who are asking the same questions so you don't necessarily even have to ask questions you just have to hear those con calls and you can go back 5 years 10 years uh, there is a lot of business press that has come around so there are a lot of interviews on the television right there are podcast coming around sometimes uh, management may come on the podcast and talk about things so we can actually form a opinion from other people right there are various forums where we can go and understand how the management is and i always think that anybody who is investing in india needs to first get comfortable with the management and that is our primary job but that is also because it is so subjective a very difficult job and so we think uh, uh, there are a lot of good management so i think there is a miss uh, interpretation that indian managers are not good you know when you own a majority of the company you want to do well for yourself and so i think there is a lot of good opportunities but you need to know why you are going in and not be driven by oh somebody said this let's do it you need to do your own work and because it is volatile if you don't do your own work you might be shaken out at the wrong time <laughs> and considering we are here in in omaha i, I need to ask i mean how has uh, buffett and munger shaped your career so actually buffett and munger got me interested in investing i was very interested in investing before i went to the college so i will give you a historical perspective um i went to iit bombay for my engineering and in the first year uh, we had a big bull run in india okay i was fresh out i'm like listen i i know it all <laughs> so i invested in those ipos and after a year the certificate uh, paper was not even worth the money that i uh, that i invested so i'm like listen this is not for me i cannot do investing and i pretty much was so disappointed with my approach that i said listen i can't do it and then um, i came to us in 2000 uh, and uh, after a few years i started reading about buffett and munger and you know when you read about buffett and munger and the approach it's just so intuitive like as buffett says either it captures you immediately or it never captures you right and so for me the whole value investing and buying things at a significant discount to what its value is just in made intuitive sense yeah. so i am uh, just to give you a little bit more background about my genetic makeup so i am uh, rajiv agarwal right the last name agarwal is actually a caste in india called banya okay and these banyas are always people who want to buy things at a significant discount <laughs> so uh, you know when i heard about value investing it's like okay this is exactly what i should be doing and so i have been reading more and more about um, about buffett and munger and you know the more uh the the i read the more pull they had on me and then um over time i was in the corporate world for a long time and then i said listen you know when i am done with this corporate world this is what i want to do full time and luckily for me uh, i was able to get to that stage and since then i've been enjoying this journey and actually paying homage to omaha and coming here and sharing and also learning from everybody around me so it has been wonderful journey yeah yeah so if you could ask one question to buffett in the agm tomorrow what would you ask So actually I asked this question yesterday to one of the persons and one of the big challenges in investment management I always feel is how do you find good investors right and as an as a fund manager I want to ensure that I can deliver good returns I can only deliver those good returns if I have investors who will come along with me for the ride because the ride is going to be volatile it is not going to be a smooth ride otherwise everybody will come along but the the challenge with investing is that the ride is never a smooth ride which is what creates the opportunity what we see today what we see today exactly exactly and we see it in all all markets right so uh, because the ride is going to be volatile is what also creates opportunities but because it is volatile you want to have investors who will stick with you 
and you know you always get different perspectives uh, about how to build your investor base so that they know what you are doing and they can stick uh, with that now buffett is very smart he has got a permanent capital so he does not worry about it right and so i think the point is uh, how do we get to being where money can be pulled out anytime to having a permanent base of money whether it is through a corporation like a berkshire or through a fund structure right and having that journey and trans- traversing that journey i think is a, is a very interesting challenge and if buffett can tell us anything about how he has sort of traversed that journey and what are some of the pitfalls along the way i think that will be very interesting to hear thank you so much rajiv for taking the time and uh, good luck with uh, with your future endeavors and have a good time in, in omaha wonderful talking to you thank you and i uh, enjoy the interview okay thank you so much i think what stood out for me with the discussion with rajiv is uh, really it's interesting to hear what uh, investing in other markets is uh, is all about and i i think rajiv had some interesting perspectives about india where i mean he focuses more on understanding the quality of the people than than the business and uh, that's opposite to to what uh, buffett thinks and has said in in all years and uh, after after that i mean the berkshire weekend is full of different events and we decided to go to an event uh, arranged by harris copperman which uh, was about investing in cyclicals which is maybe not uh, neither mine or or Eddie's uh, circle of competence but uh, it's always interesting to hear what uh, other other investors viewpoints are and uh, it it got uh, got you thinking what, what what's your view Eddie Yeah I agree it really comes down to circle of competence and I mean you always learn something new and you can apply it in some way but it's always the challenge with macro economics because you can't leave it out entirely but we are really centered and focusing on the businesses. Did you have some other thoughts about that? Yeah, I think I mean for me it's it's just about how how many questions you need to answer in order to in order to really understand those businesses and uh, part of it is I mean you have you need to have some perspective on uh, forecasting not only oil prices but uh, the macro environment in general and and interest rates and demand in China and yeah I can I can go on and on, uh, but uh, one other another thing which is maybe more important is to understand that these people, these investors, are really experts in those areas, and they put a lot of effort into understanding them. And it just feels like you're in, in a quite big disadvantage going in there, because cyclicals can be like it can go really quick. Uh, to upwards, but it goes even quicker downwards. And if you if you miss those short term trends, investing in cyclicals can be devastating. I think. Yeah, we prefer some more predictability, right? Yeah, and to be able to hold businesses for the long term and and get uh, maybe maybe you. Um, you won't outperform in the short term but if you if you invest in great uh, quality businesses and hold them for the long term, I think you will be okay anyway. You probably sleep better at night, or I, I would at least. So after a nice dinner with uh, some investors, we woke up early the next day. Yeah, and but not not as early as we thought uh, before. I mean, our plan was to go up at four and to be at the stadium at five. But we heard from other uh, investors who have been in Omaha for for the last uh, couple of AGMs uh, before, of course, the COVID. That uh, as China is in lockdown, there are very few Chinese investors here. And uh, apparently, the last time there was around twenty thousand Chinese investors here. Yeah, that's fifty percent of all the attendance. Right? <laughs> exactly. So uh, we, um, yeah, we decided to to go a bit later. I think we 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 was there around six, and so an hour before opening. And uh, I think that was a great decision because then we got some sleep. I mean, I think we're all a bit depraved from from sleep after all those days. Yeah, it's true. And it was nice. We also still had some time to get good seats and uh, walk around in the convention center. What did we find there? Yeah, the convention center is full of all the all the Berkshire businesses. So, of course, we went to uh, see Candies and uh, maybe the most important thing for us was to go to the bookworm to to speak a bit with uh, authors and uh, and look at all the books that uh, that Buffett and Munger has has recommended. Yeah, and two of them were the Oracle's Fables, a children's book with lessons from uh, inspired by Warren Buffett, and uh, also Getting There by Julian So Zigal. Yeah, and we hope we hope to get uh, both of them on on the show. I think uh, 
to have a children's book describing the concepts of, uh, of Buffett and Munger is really something I really, really like. And uh, getting there, I think, is more of a description of, of different business leaders. Yeah, and uh, one of the books uh, there was already sold out, but uh, we got the chance to talk to him, and uh, that comes a bit later in this episode. But uh, did you have some highlights otherwise uh, before the meeting started? Uh, n- not so much. I mean, we, we I mean, it opened at seven, I think, and, and then um, the meeting started at eight uh, thirty, right? Yep. So um, I mean, there was just we we were just sitting sitting there waiting more or less, and uh, after a while uh, the video started. So at all the AGMs, uh, they show a, a video that is pre- prepared by by Berkshire that you can't see if you're not uh, in the stadium. What's yeah, take? Yeah, forty five minutes. Yeah, forty five minutes, and uh, most of it I think was uh, like commercials of of the bis- the Berkshire businesses. But uh, I mean. Buffett and Munger show their witty humor at, at times as well. So it was really fun. And then at 9.15, Buffett and Munger came on the scene. How was that for you? It was magic, I think. I mean, it's uh, it was really surreal to to see to see those heroes that you have read about. And I think I've I've put yeah so many hours into listening to to former AGMs and yeah, it was just uh, a really, really great moment. Yeah. Standing ovations from 30,000 people uh, coming back after two years of lockdown. Yeah, goosebumps. And uh, six hours of Q&A, approximately. Key, yeah. Key takeaways. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it, it's always, um, yeah, it, it, it's almost a bit, a bit similar. I think uh, the uh, quality of the meeting depends a lot on uh, the questions asked. And I think in general, the questions were good. Um, I think, um, I mean, in the first half, because there is like, first half was um, like two, yeah, almost three hours, I think. And then uh, there was a pause, one hour. And in the first half, I think maybe Buffett um, spoke a bit too long when he answered. But I think, I mean, he's still really a clear thinker and and so on. But uh, yeah, it's impressive how they can keep up the show for like being 91 years old and 98 and but it was bigger difference than usual how much they spoke i mean charlie doesn't speak that much at all he mostly eats these peanut brill bars that we <laughs> have here in the temporary studio as well but when he speaks it's it's <laughs> fantastic so it's <laughs> yeah so that's why they didn't have time for as many questions but uh, the second question from the audience was from someone we just talked to the day before rajiv agrawal did yeah. he did he actually ask the question that you, uh, that you that you talked about? I mean, there were two surprises. I mean, first that okay, wow, we know who the who the guy is, <laughs> and the second thing is ah, but why didn't he ask this, the question I asked about uh, yesterday? So it was a bit of a surprise. But I, I guess he uh, he did some thinking and came up with an even more important question. I think. Yeah, it was on market timing, and uh, he said that Buffett has been really good. On uh, timing the market, he mentioned like 60, 69 when he went out of the partnership, um, also in the coming decades. And uh, he asked, well, aren't you really good at <laughs> predicting the market? What did uh, Buffett answer? I mean, he, he more or less said that they are, I think, like price sensitive. So when, uh, when there's a good price, they buy. And of course, that's often the same time when the, the, when the market is down. But I think the general takeaway for me is more or less that it's not about making buy and sell decisions. It's about making buy decisions in good companies and hold them for the long term. Yeah, I, I tried to write down, write down a quote there in the middle of everything. And Buffett said that we've been reasonably good at knowing what we get for the money. And that uh, was a good takeaway, I think, to conclude that. And uh, some, some other insights from the meeting? I mean, apart from the... the uh, insights we got into Buffett's uh, latest transactions. Uh, one of them was that they have uh, increased their holding in, in Apple, which was quite interesting after decreasing it in, in, uh, in the last year. And uh, the other one was, I think, that they um, have uh, bought a large stake in Activision Blizzard, which uh, Microsoft, Microsoft is about to, to, to buy. Um, and um, yeah, I think 
apart from from those kind of things, and and also that uh, they have uh, decreased the rate of buybacks. Uh, but yeah, I think those kind of things is not maybe the main thing about the meeting. I think because you will you will hear about those anyway. I think it's about this. Uh, I mean, how they answer questions and and how they always speak about uh, like having patience and uh, and so on. But they had a, a, a section about uh, tribalism, which I think was really interesting. Why was that? Uh, so, I mean, Buffett showed a few pictures um, that uh, show that, I mean, uh, if you have a different perspective on things, you see like he had a, a picture where you could see uh, a duck or a rabbit, depending on your perspective. And I think that just shows how how it's important to understand that uh, people in, in, in this investing world have different perspectives on things. And some people will say that, no, I only see a rabbit while the other one see a duck and you will never agree. And that's fine. I mean, uh, you can have different perspectives on things and, and, that, and that's just fine. Um, what's, what's your view on, on that section? Yeah, they showed two pictures. Uh, it was another one as well. And, uh, the thing that Warren was saying was that he read one sentence when he was 19 or 20, he couldn't remember, but uh, yeah, from the book that he loves. And uh, that changed his life. And he, he says it can really be, suddenly you see it. Yeah, and, and one part of it is, I think, related to politics in a way. If you're like a Republican or a Democrat, if you're a Republican, you would continue to see things uh, like just uh, hammering in the, the, thing, the view you have. Uh, without seeing the other person's perspective, and I just think it's important because I mean, if you if you try to, you can you can see both sides. You can see the duck and the rabbit, and I think that helps because uh, what Buffett spoke about was he, what he's a bit scared of is that tribalism is increasing a lot in the world, and that causes a lot of social problems. And I think that's uh, the impact that will have is uh, of course uh, a worse economic landscape and a worse landscape for, for humans. And, and I think it was interesting that he took, took that up. Yeah. Some other notes from me is on volatility, for example, that they spoke about uh, that stocks have become the poker chips. And uh, they mentioned this buying of 14, 14% of Occidental Petroleum. And they did it in two weeks. And this is a company that has been around for decades. And uh, yeah, this I connected this with uh, Dennis Shanshak that we had in episode Ten and his lesson from uh, meeting Buffett when he was a, a study student at uh, Harvard, and um, what Buffett said to him was that you buy quality and then you never resell the stock back to these short-term players, and if you do that, you will be successful. Yeah, I think in that example, also it was interesting because the free float I think was only sixty percent, so exactly. he bought like a fourth of that. Yeah, it's insane, and, and Munger said that there's a mania of speculation and this casino behavior. So it's really interesting to see where we're going. And Buffett just replied that we are sane, and that was his conclusion. And they depend on this mispriced security, so it's really good for them. Uh, and we also saw that with the buybacks that they have been doing this first quarter, and they also uh, announced that they have not been doing any buybacks in April. So that was interesting. They really pushed the bottom. Exactly. And I, I think as, as in previous meetings, and maybe this was even even more evident in this meeting, is they're hammering down on, on Bitcoin. <laughs> that was quite a, a fun segment. I think many, many investors in, in, in that uh, group, I mean, in the AGM, probably agree. But I also think that quite a few investors in that room disagree on Bitcoin. Yeah. So um, I think it's uh, it's clear that uh, Buffett and Munger have their perspective. And I think, as I said, it's shared by most, but not all. Yeah, and I think Buffett gave a really good answer. He really took the time to explain the question. And uh, he compared it with productive assets. If you could buy 1% of the farmland in the US, uh, for example, he would every day prefer to do that uh, and spend $25 billion for that and if someone would offer him all the bitcoins in the world and he would not take it for $25, he said. So that, and Munger is always ranting a bit more, but <laughs> yeah, I don't remember if he said rat poison this time, but something. Uh, no, he didn't actually. In, in, that, in that sense, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Then they got a, a couple of questions on inflation and Buffett mentioned his article, uh, that inflation swindles the equity investor that he wrote and he, he really wanted to tell the story behind it. And, uh, it, I really got the impression that he, he had a lot of things in his mind that he wanted to 
just tell the audience now when he had everyone's attention. Uh, but I, that was not, I mean, w the only thing I took away from the inflation discussion was that then he, like in that article, he, he spoke about uh, inflation for equity investors. And now he was just clarifying that, okay, inflation swindles almost everybody. Yeah, it does, doesn't depend. I mean, it, of course, it's better in, in some asset classes. But um, I mean, I, I just think he, he wanted to make clear that don't go out and buy bonds just because there is inflation. Bonds will be hurt as well. So I think that was maybe the main thing he wanted to clarify. And after the meeting, did we end the day or what happened then? <laughs> so, I mean, we... Uh, just I, I just have one comment before that, and that was, I mean, we have this situation in, in Russia and Ukraine, uh, and uh, there was quite a, quite a long discussion about uh, weapons of mass destru destruction, and uh, it, it was just interesting to hear their, their view on that, that uh, it's more or less, you, you can't protect, you can't protect. I mean, what's interesting is if these kind of things happen, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, it impacts everybody as much, I think, if... if if some leaders would, would do a stupid, uh, irrational decision in our view, then it hurts all of us. And, and uh, then money is maybe not the most important thing. No, they said there will be no regulators, so like nothing matters. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, to come back to your, to your question, I mean, we, we had prepared to go to a few events after the meeting. Uh, of course, we were quite tired. We went up early, but uh, I felt the adrenaline was just <laughs> kept you going the whole day. So it was really nice. And we went over to, to the Hilton Hotel, which was just uh, past the road. And uh, me and, uh, and, and Mark, who was also in, with us in, in Omaha, we went who, to the- Who is Mark? Mark is uh, one of our equity analysts. And it was really fun to, to have him with us because he's a, a real uh, Buffett and, and Munger nerd as, as us. And yeah, we had a great time. And uh, we actually went to uh, a meetup with uh, the leaders of uh, Trupanion. Which, uh, which is a pet insurance company, which has been, yeah, the, the, the CEO, Daryl Rawlings, has been a big Buffett fan. So that's why he gathered a group in Omaha uh, during this weekend. And did you get some takeaways from that meeting? The takeaway is more or less that, uh, first of all, I think the, the investors who were in that room were really, really knowledgeable, knowledgeable about the company. So it was great to hear their questions and uh, what was clear was that, I mean, I think the, the leaders in, in uh, Trupanion's team was great in asking the question, in answering the questions. And what's, what stood out, I mean, Larry Rawlings started the meeting with the only thing he really disagrees with Buffett on in the, the Berkshire meeting is that he doesn't give enough room for the, for the leaders within Berkshire. And uh, Rawlings um, had three of his leaders there who was able to present themselves. And I, I think they also got a lot, lot of space in, in answering all the questions. And he didn't really, I mean, he clarified some things, but I think he, he showed that they have a quite decentralized structure. And, and I think that was a really good point of his. Of his. Interesting. And uh, me and uh, Gustav, our sound engineer, we didn't go back to the house and rest. We <laughs> went, went to Valley After Hours meetup, also on Hilton. And uh, we met an interesting person there, a real Buffett and uh, Munger and Berkshire Hathaway expert, Adam Mead. And here comes our conversation with him. We are at Hilton here in Omaha on the other side of the road from the big CIH health center where Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholder meeting is just finished and we're here with Adam Mead. Wonderful to be here. And so what are your background just shortly for our listeners? Yeah, so uh, I manage separate accounts for uh, for clients and then I have a monthly investing newsletter, watchlistinvesting.com and you know just try to integrate timeless investing concepts with you know just uh, modern day value investing uh, as as inspired by Buffett and Munger. Yeah, and you're also author of a book and uh, we might talk more about that in another episode, but you were here selling it. Can you introduce briefly about the book? And yeah, so it's uh, it's the, the complete financial history of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, it walks through Berkshire's history A to Z, right from you know the early textile days all the way up to the modern day and, and really just looks at all the acquisitions, capital allocation decisions, and you know all that timeless wisdom that we've all come to, to love from Berkshire. 
And it sold out pretty quickly here at Bookworm in the convention center, right? It did. I mean, I, I couldn't be happier uh, with with how it how it turned out, and it was just it was so great just meeting you know all these fans that just kind of came out you know to Omaha, but then you know came by and and, and stopped in and you know said hello and you know signed the copies, and yeah, they flew off the shelf uh, in five hours. It, it was it was a crazy time, but it was just, it was wonderful. Amazing, and it's really an honor, I guess, to be featured by the Oracle himself. You know what? So I came out here 10 years ago this year. 2012 was my first meeting, and you know I was lined up at 5:30. I did the whole you know run to the floor thing, and it's it's almost surreal for me. To, to now be in the shoes of, you know, an expert on Berkshire, you know, I kind of have, it's like, well, you know, I'm an expert on Berkshire, but, um, you know, I lived five years of, of writing this book, um, every little detail that you can imagine. And uh, it's just, it's amazing to be able to be here and, and be selected, you know, by Warren to, to have my book, you know, featured at the meeting. And if you would name one or two concepts or principles that really have shaped you and that keep coming back to your mind in your daily life as an investor and as a person from everything that you have learned from Berkshire, what would that be? You know, I, I think thinking long term, taking the high, you know, Buffett and Munger, they talk about that in the context of business, but I think those from the outside that don't fully appreciate Berkshire don't realize that it applies to your whole life. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. Um, but, you know, what, what Buffett is the master of is keeping things simple. He, he has the depth, obviously, to, to back it up, but it, it often, you know, we heard today many times, it's simple. Keep it simple um, in, in many different contexts. And I, I think if, if we take, take a step back and just sort of remember any business that we're looking at or investing in, whether it's Berkshire or another company, just remember what they're doing, that basic economic uh, principles that, that they're you know, basically trying to achieve with, with their system, which is a company. And um, you know, the, the finance and the accounting is kind of built around that. But if you can get that nexus of the economics, everything kind of falls into place. And for our listeners who are not here, uh, how was the experience today? What can you say? Yeah, I mean, uh, so this is my ninth year out here in person. Uh, uh, would have been my 11th, but we had the two years off. Um, every time I come out here, it's like re-energized. I mean, I, I, you know, we were chatting earlier and I mean, it, it's just a wonderful three, four days, depending on when you come out here. You, you know, you just meet wonderful people. Everybody is so friendly. You learn some new things. You meet some new friends. But it's sort of this annual recalibration of, you know, what we're all about. You know, just kind of, just, just, just getting back again to those fundamentals that we we love and, and admire about Ber the Berkshire culture. And was there a, a puzzle that, like a piece in the puzzle that you found during this meeting or during the weekend so far that you think will stay with you? Oh gosh, you know, I, I love when I love when Warren, you know, he, he he repeats a lot of the same things in, in different ways over the years, and so um, there were there were some things that he he reiterated this year that you know just kind of stuck. But I, I like that he took the time to highlight, you know, almost everything he does now is with an aim to teach. He loves he loves teaching, you know, just like you guys do with with your show, and you know, so specifically highlighting the, the Goldman Sachs fee with the Allegheny deal and bringing that to the forefront and saying, you know, th this is why I did this. This is why, you know, you should pay attention to it. It's a fee that's sort of in the background, but, you know, someone has to pay it. And so, you know, that specifically, but I guess kind of more generally, just, again, keeping it simple. He studied the company for 60 years, he said, and then it just clicked you know, one day because of a, an email from uh, Joe Brandon and, you know, 11.6 billion dollars later and, you know, Berkshire has a new subsidiary coming in the fourth quarter. That's amazing. Was there any surprise for you here? Um, I don't think so. No, you know, not, not really any, any big surprises and there usually isn't. Um, Maybe the Activision? Blizzard, or did you? Yeah, you know that that's something that Buffett. You kind of forget just how 
tuned he is into like the pulse of the market. You know, you kind of have this image of him, you know, five miles up the road on Farnham Street sitting in his office just reading any reports, but he's just, he can't help himself look for, in this case, you know, risk arbitrage, which is just a differential between the announced price of, of Activision and what it was trading at. Um, and actually, I mean, that, that, that reminds me of the, the Occidental Petroleum. Uh, you know, he put up a slide of just saying, uh, you know, this, I mean, for Buffett to say this was incredible or, you know, I forget the adjectives he used, uh, you know, that, that makes me sit up in my seat and just say, okay, let's pay attention. But for, for Berkshire to buy 14% of Occidental in, you know, the span of a, a couple of weeks, it's is just incredible. Yeah, and it really speaks for the market volatility in the recent, and uh, they were criticizing quite a lot this, uh, the mania and the casino behavior. Yeah, and I think, you know, you've seen this year by year, and, you know, with, with my book, I went, you know, read every every single thing I could find on, on the Berkshire meetings and watched all the all the meetings that, that were, were there from 1994 on, and you kind of see these themes, you know, we saw it. Uh, in the in the tech boom in the, in the late 90s up to the 2000s um, and you kind of see it actually you saw it again in, in 2006 you know with the real estate and they were kind of talking about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac um, and then now of course Bitcoin and crypto being sort of you know the, the latest hot thing and they opine on it they know I mean they it's just they, they know what's going to happen and they I, I think they do their best again to educate but um, it can only go so far I mean everyone here Basically, I, w I mean, I would be, feel safe to say 99% of people that are here would agree with them on crypto, and the other side is going to disagree with them. So they're they're not really going to change any minds, but you know, it, it's something that's on the minds of uh, of people that are out here. All right, and what are your plans now for the rest of the weekend and for the coming months, of waiting for the next uh, meeting in 2023, hopefully? Yeah, no, I, I fully expect to be back here next year. Um, yeah, just you know, it, it's after the meeting. There's a, there's a lot to talk about. It's it, that that is the nexus of the whole weekend, and uh, I'm going to the Markel brunch tomorrow morning. That's uh, a wonderful event, and you know, to come out here and you know, you come to these events, and uh, you know, last night I was at the, the Columbia Business School dinner, and, and Mario Gabelli pays for that. Um, Markel puts on their brunch for free and uh, just the, the generosity, not only in, in wisdom and knowledge, but, you know, serving us food and, you know, even, even in the convention center this morning, you know, you, you can just grab free coffees. And um, I, I think that just really sort of highlights the partner culture. You know, I mean, what I, I, I really truly believe Warren thinks like that. You know, if it was like 10 of his original partners and his sister coming over for, for his, you know, sort of annual debrief, he would he would probably serve him, serve, serve them something to eat. And, you know, that extends to, you know, the 30 or 40,000 people that are out here today. Yeah, very nice event. And uh, we will see you at the Markel branch tomorrow then. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time here. Great to be here. I really liked speaking to Adam Mead. He was such a friendly person and uh, I really look forward to having him on the podcast and talk more about the book. He yeah, he has so much knowledge. The book is more than 800 pages and uh, yeah, what did you think? Yeah, I, I've heard it's a it's a large book, a lot a lot of details and I look forward to reading it because I haven't done that. And I think uh, yeah, it was great to hear his experience having been to nine AGMs before and uh, and uh, after the talk with him, we the day continued. <laughs> yeah, and we met up. I mean, we, uh, I mean, me and me and Mark were were at the Trapanion event, and you stayed at the Value After Hours event. And uh, then we gathered at uh, the Marriott Hotel to go to Willow Oak Asset Management's uh, panel debate between uh, Stephen Keel, Keith Smith, Jeff Gannon, and Shri again, <laughs> our friend. <laughs> And uh, it was uh, the moderator was uh, Andrew Kuhn, and uh, yeah, Andrew and and, and Jeff Gannon have uh, Focus Compounding podcast, which is a great podcast, and I think I think Andrew did uh, an amazing job uh, moderating the event. Uh, what's what? What were your biggest takeaway from this? I really liked the story that uh, Jeff Gannon 
told about uh, one company that he was researching. It was a bank. And uh, he wanted to see the headquarters before he could invest in the company. And he went out there. He saw the customer area. It was really nice. And uh, then he also got to see where the employees work. And it was very modest. And that uh, gave him the confidence that, okay, they are prioritizing in the right way. They are frugal in the right way. Uh, But I had a follow-up question to him because he also said that the employees are cramped up in there. And that got me a bit thinking about how do you treat your employees and how do you treat your customers? And I think that's an, an interesting question. So we drilled a bit deeper into that in the, in the panel discussion. And what he said was that, I mean, he's really focused on the value, uh, value guy and the price of the company. And he said that the employees are satisfied enough and they are competent enough to do their work. And, uh, yeah, that was enough for him to do an investment. I think one takeaway I had was that I think it was a great event, but I think uh, one one issue with these types of, of panels are that uh, the investors have so different perspectives. I, I keep coming back to like um, Morgan Housel's concepts about that each individual have uh, like different risk profiles, and we think really different about risks, and and uh, yeah going on in, in in that direction it's also about we all we all have different styles with our investments and i think these four uh, panelists have, have really four different uh, ways of, of thinking about investments and when they discuss the subjects they come from a different angle and i think um, maybe sometimes when these discussions happens the they are they're too far uh, be- yeah too far between each other and uh, that makes it a bit, yeah, maybe not uh, the best discussions. But it was really interesting to hear each one's perspectives. And I mean, Sri, uh, as we have discussed before, I mean, he's a real long-term thinker, uh, focusing on quality companies. And I think it was really interesting to hear what he had ha- had to say again. But um, I mean, Jeff Gannon is, is one that I've followed since uh, he had a blog for a very long time ago called uh, Gannon and Hung. Uh, investments i think it was and uh, that was one of the first bloggers i i started to read when i when i was a, a emerging investor when and was that i think it was around 2010 or something mm. um and uh, I, it was just clear how much of a first principle uh, type of thinker jeff is i mean he won't listen to others other investors maybe he got a maybe he speaks with, with others communicates about things but he does his own research, and that was really clear. And uh, yeah, I really liked his viewpoints. Yeah, and another takeaway from uh, for me, also from from Jeff, was uh, when he got a question on compensation, and he had two principles that he has found works. He said he doesn't know why they work, but uh, they seem to do it. And uh, the first one was that uh, when you have a CEO that has done it successfully one time in the industry and then finds a new idea and uh, emerges on a new uh, journey that has been very good hunting grounds those type of businesses and i mean that's something we also have in our radar rating we want that is one of the questions we want the ceo to have done it successfully before and uh, comes down to track record and the second one was even more interesting i think because it uh, tied very well into the compensation and that was related to payment and uh, when the CEO is not the highest paid there is someone else in the organization that has a higher uh, salary that seems to be a very good indicator about the culture in the business and um, that this can be a a very prosperous company so I take that one with me and again what's the best example of that Berkshire (laughs) Berkshire Hathaway I mean uh, Buffett I think he pays himself hundred thousand dollars a year yeah and uh, many of his managers make millions of course yeah so yeah and after the the willow oak uh, event we um, went to a, a house party uh, gathering which uh, yeah we got the invite from from jeff graham which we interviewed in the in the podcast before episode six yeah and uh, it was full of i mean again in in omaha this weekend there are only like really interesting people and like-minded investors and i think we had a, a few really interesting discussions and we also met a few guys from from Sweden, which we rate really highly, uh, and we know that uh, they listen to this podcast. 
yeah, it was really fun to, again, meet people in person. And uh, we spoke to Jeff before and uh, we spoke then about shareholder activism and uh, his book, the Dear Chairman. So if you haven't picked up it or uh, heard the episode, we can really recommend it. Then we started this day, Sunday. <laughs> the, <laughs> the last <laughs> last day in Omaha. Yeah, we go, we, we, we leave uh, after the weekend. So uh, yeah, this is this is a Sunday. And uh, as typical in, in Omaha this weekend, uh, Markel has uh, a brunch. And uh, it's, uh, of course, uh, then, then the, the CEO, Tom Gaynor, is there and, and his management team. Can you introduce Markel Corporation a little bit? Yes, Markel Corporation is, is by many seen as sort of a mini Berkshire. So they have like a specialty insurance uh, arm, which is maybe the core of Markel. And they, they um, also have Markel Ventures, where they do um, private, uh, I mean, they invest in, in private companies um, and yeah, buy the whole piece. Uh, and uh, lastly, they have the investments arm, which is, I mean, all in insurance companies, of course, have an investment arm. But what's different with companies such as Berkshire and, and Markel is that they invest a large chunk of that in equities to gain a higher higher return. And uh, Markel has a, a really good track record. They have beaten the, the S&P for, for many decades. And uh, I, I, the style is quite different from, from Berkshire in that they are more diversified. And uh, like they, they do like a dollar cost averaging uh, style. So they invest like when they get money from from uh, their their insurance side, the float. They invest that into into equities, and typically they increase their holdings a bit. Um, so, and yeah, it's been really successful. They focus on high quality companies, and it's it's worked for them. Mm. And there were two hours of Q and A, or even a little bit more. Some interesting questions. Yeah, there was a long Q and A session, and and I think it was it was good. It was a mix again about like Markel's uh, typical. I mean, what investments they have done recently, and companies they have bought and, and sold. And um, I think the main takeaway again is not that it's the same as with Berkshire. I think the the main takeaway is the the principles that that Markel has that they are really long term thinkers, and uh, they do this for the long term. They think about the next. 10 to 20 years, not 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 the next quarter and, and year. So I think that was maybe the main thing for me. And that's been the main thing for me during the whole weekend that, I mean, we get, we got that from all the, the interviews we, we did. It's about having patience and, and thinking for the long term. Yeah, and there were a very interesting mix of shareholders asking the questions and a lot of students in their early 20s and seems to be a big interest for these kind of businesses as well. So it's Promising for the future, I think. Great to see all the young people here, I agree. Yeah, and great questions. Um, so if you would rate all the events we have visited, one, two, three. I mean, I have to say, I mean, to to hear Buffett and Munger is is the key. It, it doesn't matter that they are not as, as sharp as, as they were maybe 30 years ago. I mean, they are still super sharp and and I think it was it was magic to, to see them. And I think the whole event was really, really, really a nice, um, really nice event. Yeah, it's number one for me as well. And then I think uh, actually Markel would be the second one. It was really nice to hear Tom Gaynor in, in person and a lot of good in, in, interesting insights. So I would re- definitely recommend everyone to visit that one and stay for the Sunday. And uh, Willow Oaks was also highlight for me. Yeah, I would put them in the same same order. <laughs> All of them were, were really good. And it's not only about listening to the panelists and, and being at the event. You meet a lot of people and we had some great discussions uh, before meetings and after meetings and, and so on. Um, some of them we had arranged before. Uh, I mean, we're, we're having this uh, serial acquirer event in uh, on the 18th of May. And uh, we have just seen how many international invest- investors that are interested in Swedish serial acquirers so I think that was like a fun thing that we haven't really thought about before, maybe. That's true. Confirms that. And uh, also fascinating, of course, to shake hand with uh, Morgan Housel and these uh, big names. Yeah, and we saw, I mean, Chuck Aker was was at the Markel event and he's, he's one of the best investors I know of. So it was just, just to see those kind of people is, is really nice. Yeah. And what's up now? Yeah, so now, I mean, we, we go back to, to Sweden in a while and, uh, I mean, we take with us 
uh, all the all the great discussions we have, all the meetings we have with with authors and, and investors and so on. And I think for me, I think I will like it. I feel refreshed. I feel refreshed in the mind. I feel like um, I, I I prolonged my thinking with at least five years after this. So so I, I hope I will be able to to keep that for the next year. But will you wait five years to come back or? I don't know. We will see. I'm not sure I will go back uh, next year, but uh, but maybe. Yeah, I would like to. Yeah, I really. I would like, like to too. It depends on, yeah, situation and, and so on. Yeah, of course. So that concludes this special episode from Omaha, and we are now looking forward to our next episode with Avner Mandelman in two weeks, and we will then speak about his book, The Sleuth Investor, a very interesting approach to investing, very hands-on, doing the hard work. Uh, channel checks highly recommended stay tuned for that episode see you thank you for listening to investing by the books a podcast by red eye follow us on twitter at ib underscore red eye and email us at ib.podcast at red to improve we'd love to hear your feedback so please rate and review us notice that the content in this podcast is not and shall not be construed as investment advice This information is meant to be informative and for general purposes only. For full disclaimer, visit redeye.se. I'm your host, Eddie Palmian, and until next time, I sincerely wish you the best of luck on your journey through life and investing.